0: Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well. Kind of an early start for us, isn't it? (laughs) I can feel that. Why don't you slap yourself real hard? That'll help you, wake you up a little. All right, well, we're in this series, we're actually almost done. We've got one more, I'm going to do it today, and then next Sunday, we're going to wrap this whole thing up, talking about worship. Pastor Jamie gave you a little more in the historical side of things as we began to see um, the decline of the temple, kind of the refiring of that, and, and God uh, establishing his heart. But what we're going to do here today is, we're turning the corner, we're going to talk about the new and the living way. God, as we've learned all along here, is that God has a heart. God has a vision of what he wants. And when we're able to look at biblical history retrospectively, able to see that God, his heart never changed. In other words, he's always wanted to have an intimate relationship with us, even though God had to, over millennia, bring his people back to an understanding of that. In the end, the law made people conscious of their sin and of their need for God. And we know, as we have added this uh, extra layer all throughout the study of, of, of the biblical history, that uh, Jesus was the solution. And so we've tracked the heart of God and men's response to it. And if we've seen that, that the sometimes uh, passionate response to the heart of God, and then we've seen men's heart trail away. And we can, we can identify with that. We can certainly do that. We can be drawn to the passionate gospel. We can be drawn to it. We can... We can come and say, Jesus, you are my Lord, and there's nothing else, and then maybe a season where we begin to drift a little bit. We, we understand that. Maybe we haven't read our Bible for a while, and this cyclical kind of thing we can identify with. But God's got a solution for that too. But simply put, when God's people honor him, he blesses and protects them. When they don't, God's favor is removed, and man is left to his own devices, the Jews in their prayer, in what they call the Levitical priestly prayer, they said, make your face shine upon me. And so the idea of attracting the favor of God was our face, we know that the scripture says that God's face is toward us completely now in his son Jesus. And so it really comes down to day after day is our face toward him. And when we turn our face away, God is not removing really anything. We're removing ourselves. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But the favor is removed, and man is left to his own devices. And, and that's, that's something. And, and the consequences that come with a life without him. And we can understand that, too. And, of course, this world is cursed and dying and answers that question theologically. Why do you know, bad things still continue to happen on this earth? Well, it needs a Savior. It is cursed. It's broken. And when we live a life without Jesus Christ, we're left to it. <laughs> and all that it has, and all that it provides. So God gives us simple instructions on how to live a blessed life when we're talking about worship here. This would be worth memorizing this summer, this section of scripture if you haven't already, or at least be familiar with it. I'm gonna read this, and then I'll come back to it at the end, but I wanna read this because I really feel like it encapsulates the exact heart of God, and if we were to just say, okay, how do I continue to achieve the blessing of favor of God in my life, It's right here, let's read it. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. What else is there? Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man, both of which are incredibly important. Sometimes we just focus on, well, I'm good with God, but we're not so good with man. Truth is, we need to be, at, 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 we need to be good with both. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, not just some of it, but all of it, and lean not on your own understanding, whether it be my wisdom or somebody else's wisdom, or the knowledge of this world, or the wonderful teachings and and philosophies that are out there that attract men like moths to the flame. Mm -mm. Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, all, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Notice that there's a the first part of it is where I think most people say, well, God wants me to submit to him. God wants me to give him my life. There's a promise that God says when we do that, he is going to bless us mightily by making our path straight. In other words, that it's, it's not difficult. In this world, there's difficulty, but for those who fear and love God, God has a much easier path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones interesting so much talk of nutrition so much talk of keeping our bodies in shape so many articles so many teachings so many things when really the bible says look if we just fear and walk with god that's the best thing we can do when it comes to our health interesting honor the lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops or your increase Your salary, whatever you, God gives to you in his favor and his love. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. We don't, I mean, unless you're a farmer, most of us don't have a barn. But the barn represents the storage of our life, our savings, what we set aside for a rainy day. God will make sure we have what we need. And your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, which, of course, will come. Because when we begin to wander off the path, God is there to show us very quickly that a lifestyle that we have chosen that does not have his favor upon it, again, will be returned back to our own devices and the consequences of our sin. But then we run back to him. God says, look, don't despise that when he gets in your way. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And as a father, the son he delights in. Blessed are those who find wisdom and those who gain understanding for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. Wisdom is incredibly powerful. and We get that from the word and our relationship with God. Then you will go on your way in safety and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Wow. I mean, by following God, I have nothing to fear. The Bible talks about being anxious for nothing. How many of us really, really understand that? Perhaps just in times. He says, you'll go on your way in safety and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. And when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. These are all blessings and, and 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 a fruit of honoring God, of walking in the ways of God. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked. For the Lord will be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared. This is a blessing that is incredibly powerful. I love that set of verses. I've been reading them all my Christian days and reading them not with a hope, but with an expectation, an expectation. I want to talk about this new and living way. How do we experience this kind of stuff? Is this just a pipe dream? Is this, are these just promises that, that are just talked about that, and then that at Christians the, the, it's behind the glass and we can just press our face up against it like the candy store and hope we ever get that? Absolutely not. It is something that I believe that we're supposed to experience daily. And it begins as New Testament believers with an understanding of worship and giving ourselves holy to God. So I want to talk about worship from uh, looking at a couple of people who are pretty important in Scripture regarding worship. I want to talk about Jesus and worship and Paul and worship. And then I want to kind of put it all together for us and what the Scripture calls the new and living way. When it comes to worship, Jesus was very uh, prominent in his understanding of what worship was, but it was interesting. He says, worship the Father, and the Father says, worship him. And what we find is that from the very get-go, in Matthew chapter 2, uh, verses 2 and 11, Jesus is worshiped as a baby. Because we ask the question, well, who do we worship? What do we worship? Well, from the very get-go, Jesus was the one we worship. So he's not just someone that we venerate. It's not just someone that we talk about. But he is to be worshiped. He is supposed to, we're supposed to lift our hands and surrender to him. We are to talk to him, pray to him, expect him to communicate to us by the Holy Spirit. From the very get-go, people knew that he was God. Because what do you worship other than God? Jesus rebuked Satan and told him that the only God, only God was to be worshipped in Matthew 4, 9. We notice that he never ever really made a point to tell people to worship him. As a matter of fact, he discouraged it. But he allowed them, I mean, he discouraged it when they made a public, a big public point of it. But when they fell at his feet, he never rebuked them. Dis- disciples that worship Jesus after he the disciples worship Jesus after he rebukes the wind and the waves he doesn't stop them they say oh my gosh no one can do this but God himself and it says they fell down in the boat and they worshipped him we see that the women worship Jesus after he was uh, raised from the dead in Matthew twenty eight ten they know who he is they know that their heart is that he is the object. There's no longer a temple. There's no longer a sacrificial system. There are no longer, there's no longer an Ark of the Covenant. Jesus represents it all. And their hearts are poured out to him, and they fall down on their knees. They recognize this. Of course, they're infants in their understanding of the kingdom of God. Infants, but they know who they have in the boat with them. Jesus also talks about worship in John 4.23, we've talked about this throughout the series. The Father, what the Father's looking for. He says, let me tell you about my dad. My dad wants his, he wants worshipers. But he wants them to worship in spirit and truth. He's not into temples anymore. He's not into a sacrificial system anymore. Basically, it's all going to be wrapped up in his son, the supremacy of his son. And he's looking for spirit and truth. Talked a lot about that, so I won't hit it again. Then Jesus, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 and 11, through 11, Paul tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every human being. Can you imagine that? Think of all the atheists who will have to bow their knee. Think of all the people that are rabidly fighting against Christianity. Think about the guy who took this truck and ran over the Ten Commandments that were just put up a few days before down in Louisiana somewhere. Think about the people all across our nation right now in our universities who despise the name of Jesus, that are forcing his name off of campuses, who, who are spitting on people that would even talk about Christian uh, to wear a crucifix or, or to have a Bible in their hand, they're all going to bow their knee to Jesus. Every tongue. Not just bow their knee, they're going to have to look at him and say, you are the living God. You are Jesus. You are the savior of the world. But that confession, by the way, will be too late. It'll only be a confession that they have to finally realize of the mistake they made. The evil they had given. The door was shut. But it says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not to their salvation, but just to acknowledge who Jesus is. So it makes sense, folks, that we get started now, amen? Jesus said, Jesus said, and we see in his life, that he was the object. He was the new object of worship. He drew people away from the temple. The temple was, even though Jesus went to the temple, he was Jewish, and he knew that's where to find God's people. But he never once told them to go and worship there. What we find is this transition. Then comes Paul. And Paul brings it all home for us. Paul acknowledges the supremacy of Christ in Colossians 1.18. He says, look, there's, he's it. He's the Savior. He is the perfect image of God. He is every every bit the same as God himself. Therefore, he is God. And to be worshiped. Paul acknowledges the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And Jesus is our hope there in 2 Corinthians 5.17. The old things have passed. And what what are those old things he's talking about? Of course, the whole Old Testament sacrificial system, the, the, the whole idea of trying to appease God. And let me just tell you this right now, that that old system still rears its ugly head up every once in a while. In other words, us trying to earn the favor of God again, whether it be through Christian service or trying to be good or trying to do all the things that would try to attend, attract the attention of God. All of which is fruitless. In the light of the fact that Jesus already has become our, our Savior. He is our salvation. He is our grace. He, is, he has done the work for us. He's achieved perfection on our behalf. And every attempt on our part to try to earn that. So what is that So Paul is saying, look, all that Jesus did deserves only one thing, and that's utter and complete surrender and love and worship of the Savior. Jesus is it. He's not, you're not supposed to have a carved image of him, not a good idea, and worship that. Spirit. Spirit. It's not supposed to be something that we, we create this system or, or think that we've got tabernacles that are modern day. And I find this all the time. It, and, and I think that Christians are deceived by this, that we're supposed to go back to the Old, Old Testament. And un, unless you're a Jew, well, then you're, you've got to go the way of Paul. You've got to understand all these things the way Paul did. But most of us, I'm sure, are Gentiles here in this room. And if that's the case, then look, <laughs> all of that has been done for you. Your Savior is Jesus. And he's to be worshipped. He's to be adored. He's your gateway. He is your new and living way. And what's amazing about this is that it doesn't matter how long you've been walking with Christ. I mean, I just enjoyed the time of worship this morning where I'm able to just cast it all aside and all that has happened to me and all my own personal struggles. In an instant, I'm able to come to him and just say, Jesus, here I am. Thank you for dying on the cross for me thank you for all i have to do in my heart is just confess my great need for you the sins that come to my heart i just confess them he washes me clean and in just a few moments i'm in fellowship with him again in a few moments i'm there face to face with my savior because i know he's ready he's there he's waiting There's nothing, I don't have to run around the building seven times, I don't have to have a bunch of beads and pray to those things, I don't have to have any icons, I don't have to have any liturgy that I have to go through the motions in order to impress God in any way, shape, or form. All he wants is this. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16 says, we can come, as a result of what I've just shared with you, we can come boldly before his throne of grace, and receive help notice what that he makes it a point to to point out the writer of hebrews makes it a point to point a point to to tell us that it's a throne of grace it's not a throne of judgment it's not a throne of examination it's not a throne of expectation it's not a religious throne it's a throne of grace and what is grace God doing for us what we can never do for ourselves. What is grace? God saying, look, you come. I've done all the work. All I need is you. He says we can come boldly to that throne and do what? Receive help. Receive help. If we deny that we need help and we continue to walk in our religious pride, well, then that's where we'll stay. But if we open our hearts wide to him and we come to that throne of grace and we recognize that he is the Savior and he's ready to help me. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. No other image, no other perspective, but him, Jesus, the man. To see him with our, to let the Spirit of God use our internal ability to see him there, high and lifted up, and begin to talk with him, to push over that which is natural, and to begin. And, and really what is called a spiritual relationship with God. And as a pastor, this is really my heart. This is really what I'm after, is to help you press through that which is mundane, to press through that which is natural and earthly, to press into the spiritual relationship you can have with God. And it's, you know, is it a scary place? It, it is a bit of a scary place. Because it means you have to be truthful with yourself, spirit, and in what? Truth. It means you're going to have to be real with who you are. When you step into the light, as he is in the light, he's going to expose everything. But where else to be exposed in your heart but before the one who died for all of those things. So we can come boldly, not arrogantly, not reluctantly, but boldly. Boldly means... I know I'm expected. (laughs) I know I can come right up to my daddy. I know I can come up to Jesus and know that he's already already done all the work. That I can come right up to him. He's not not a celebrity or a a, a rock artist that, that I have to fight through all the people to get to. I can go boldly right up to him. He's not so important that he doesn't have time for me. Boldly. Worship is no longer an event. And that's the, that's the turning hinge, my friends. Worship is no longer an event, even though we treat it as such, even though we set apart time, 20 minutes, for worship. And, and we'll talk about that more next week. But it's not an event, my friends. It's a lifestyle. What we do for 20 to 25 minutes in that period of time that we set music aside is only just, hey, this is a great time for us to do it, what? Together. And together unless Andrea and the team comes to your house and sets up their band, that you're going to have to come here in order to enjoy that. Now, you can listen to worship music at home. You can do that. But the whole point is, it's a lifestyle that we have crossed over into a new and living way and that it is something that we now can enjoy every moment of our life. And when we come here to worship, that's just an expression. As a matter of fact, the, the, the amount of ability for you to be able to come into the presence of God with freedom when that first note is struck is an indication of how close you have been to him throughout the week. And that's kind of hard to say. But there are times when we do drift during the week. But you know what? <laughs> when we understand who Jesus is and we understand this new and living way, you know that it doesn't take much, as, as I just described to you. The first note struck, and I'm just like, man, I'm, I'm expected here. Maybe I haven't talked to him in a while. Maybe I hasn't, haven't read his word in a bit. But you know what? He's expecting me. I can come boldly before that throne of grace and receive what? Help. And part of that help is just get me right. Part of that help is just get my, my, my mind back where it needs to be. Part of that is to say, Lord, I've been suffering with stuff coming, jump, jump coming up in my life, and I, I need to know why. And he's ready. But it's a lifestyle. Look at Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Paul spends the first 11 chapters really just talking about how much we need a Savior, talking about what Jesus did and its spiritual implications. He's helping Jews and Christians understand what it is that they're supposed to be doing now, because so many Jews are having a very difficult time turning their back on what was a lifestyle of sacrifice and, 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 and uh, religion, And so Paul then brings it, he says, after all that what Jesus has done for you, what is your worship now? How do you respond now that there is no temple, now that there is no sacrificial system, now that there is no tradition? Tradition, you know, that stuff. No more of that. What What is there now? Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice no longer a cow It's no longer a dove it's you it's me your body as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to god because that's what god was always wanting he didn't want this whole sacrifice. He didn't like all the blood. He didn't want all of that. But he knew he had to teach his people over those many, 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 many centuries of how much they needed a Savior and how, just how wicked and deprived they really were. He says, now our response is he wants us. And so we yield to him. We, we are the living sacrificing sacrifice, pleasing to God. It pleases God's heart when we come to him and we offer ourselves when we come in and say, Lord, here I am, I belong to you, God is crazy in love with that. But when we hold back and we just go through the motions and we, we stay at a distance and we just try to uh, appease God like some kind of a, uh, an Old Testament pagan God, and that doesn't please the heart of God at all. He wants us. He wants our intimacy. He wants our first-person conversation. He doesn't want you having to go through me. He doesn't want you to have to go through someone else. He doesn't want you to have to create some kind of uh, incantations to try to, to please or, or to attract the heart of God. Uh-uh. What he wants is you. And That makes sense. When I think of my children, all I want is them. All I want is them. They don't, have to, they don't have to impress me, but children always try. But I have to tell them after a while, say, look, you don't have to do all that. I love you always will this is our pleasing worship this is your true and proper worship this is paul saying look you don't i mean we're done with all that now it's you verse 2 do not conform to the pattern of this world he's saying look and while you're at it when when you're not talking to him when you go back onto the world don't be don't be drawn into that pattern of the world because you don't belong to it anymore he said that is another part of your worship is to not conform It is to recognize that that is dead, that that has no life, that the ways of man and doing things man's way is only going to bring you pain and suffering. It's only going to bring you struggle when you give in to the loud voices of anger and hate and bitterness Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by renewing of your mind. He says, man, you've got to take the word of God. You've got to know what the ways of God are. Study them. Understand them. And that takes us right back to Proverbs 3, doesn't it? My son, do not forget my teaching. But keep my commands in your heart. Know the heart of God. If anything, we go to Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And we learn what Jesus said was the new Ten Commandments, the new heart of of holiness. That needs to be written on the the, the tablet of our heart. He says, but be transformed by renewing your mind. Then you will be able to test and improve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. People all the time are wondering, what is the will of God? What is the will of God for my life? Man, it's a lot simpler than you think. That all you have to do, it starts. Because people ask me, how do I understand the will? I said, I got a solution for you. And they lean in. I said, worship Jesus. Just worship Jesus. Just surrender to him. When you surrender to him, he absolutely will begin to direct you. He absolutely will begin to speak to you and lead you and guide you. And you will get a sense in your heart when that which is dark and brings ill ease to your heart, you know that's not the way. We begin to create in us a sensory perception that's called discernment. And it comes by the Spirit of God. I instinctively know, no, that's not good. That's not the way. I shouldn't go this way. But then when I go this way, I know, no, this smells and looks like God. Now, I can get into specifics on that, but I don't like to. But that's between you and God. Now, throughout the rest of the year, after this service is over, is what I spend my time helping clarify. But not today. It begins with a full surrender to your living Savior. So at 22, it says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with a full assurance. He's describing what I'm talking about here. This is what we do. What is our worship? Right here. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Folks, that's what happens every time you approach Jesus and you let the Holy Spirit knock on your heart and you confess the sin of bitterness. You confess the sin of lust. When the Holy Spirit brings it up and says, look, these are the things that have separated you from me over the past week or just the last 24 hours keeping short accounts of our soul, coming to Jesus every time. And it says here, man, our hearts will be sprinkled with the blood that's already been shed. Our guilty conscience would cause us to want to withdraw from him or, not even, or get up in the morning on a Sunday morning and say, I don't want to go. And we deceive ourselves to think, and we put in, and we try to fill in all the blanks with all the different lies, when really down inside, we're just guilty. We're just guilty. And God is not wanting to point his finger at us if we would just jump out of bed and flip around and put our knees down and do Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, all would be right as rain. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. In other words, talk about it, share it. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Hmm, how are we going to do that? Look at verse 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Look, I I mean, I'm all for when I read those memes on Facebook that says, man, I can get in touch with Jesus in my fishing boat on a Sunday morning much more than I can on a Sunday service. And I say, hogwash. And I love to fish. And I love to pray when I'm out fishing. But I tell you what, there's a part of Jesus in you that I need. And there's a part that in our fellowship, one together, there's a blessing upon congregational worship. Talk about that next week. There is a favor upon when people got people. So when people begin to pull away and do that kind of stuff, we're only deceiving ourselves because there is a deposit of life that God will give when we come and we worship together. So Paul says, look, don't give up meeting together because He he actually deals with that earlier in Romans to just basically say, look, you know, with all this wonderful freedom, don't take your freedom to go then go put yourself back in bondage again. Now that you're free, you are now free to what? Obey. You're now free to be a servant. You're now free. The thing that kept you from God, the thing that kept you walking and you and I walking back into the hole and into the trap every single time, we are not, that is broken over us. Now, we, that is not just a given. Now, he has given it to sermon. He's given us the ability to say yes and no by the grace of God. He teaches us to say yes to godliness and to say no to ungodliness. We are, the, the ground is leveled. And by worshiping, we walk in the new and living way and we're taught, we're encouraged. Our spirit is strengthened. It is strengthened and together. Now there's a wonderful part of congrega- uh, of a congregational worship and i'll just give you a little snippet from next week and that is folks we we come together in a way to i can look across the room and i can see my brother and my sister and when i see the smile on their face and i'm not smiling but i see the joy in your heart and i'm like how'd you get that joy man? i just i just came to jesus man and i mean or Man, I had a great week. Well, why'd you have a great week? Well, finally, God answered some prayers in my life. I've been sowing these seeds of faithfulness. I've been doing that and going, hey, Amen. I need to do that. I need to do that. That is the kind of provoking to righteousness, to good works that we need in the congregation that we absolutely have to have, which is why the church is such a healthy thing. It's not a place. It's an organism of life. And it's what will produce the greater amount of depth of insight. We all have pride. We all have a little arrogance in us. We all think we've arrived. We've all think we got a little we've achieved in different areas. But because we love one another, we're standing with one another, and there might be that time we have to put a, a hand on each other's back and just whisper in their ear and say, "Hey, bro, you might want to go back to scripture on that one." because that ain't true. Or, you know what, you swallowed the poison. You swallowed a little bit of that bitterness, and I see it working in you. I love you too much to let you keep going. That's body ministry. And that's what worship will bring us to. That's, that's when we're pursuing Jesus together, then we are growing. We're, because people ask me that all the time. Pastor David, how do I continue to grow in the fear and the love of God? How do I grow in being a spiritual man? Well, it's quite simple. You've got to get truth in you, and you've got to truth with others. You just have to. Because, oh my gosh. I mean, it doesn't take 24 hours what I'm, when I read <clears throat> what's out there on the Internet. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, I'm so tempted to, to, to just drop scriptures when people put those little memes out there and just put, well, have you ever read Second Thessalonians 2, verse 1? Totally contradicts what you're saying there, my friend. We need that, we need it. Left to ourselves, we are going to protect ourselves. We are going to cover ourselves. We are going to drift back into the lane, into the stream of narcissism, self-protection, arrogance, and pride. Worship is incredibly important to help us with that. It's a new and living way. It's, it's not the way of, of sacrifice. It's not the way of bulls, goats, and, and, and dove. It's, it's no longer the way, the way of God's expectation. It is a way of grace and favor and love. But while we're on that, we now are free to do something about the choices that we make. We're free. So I'm going to put this all together to finish this morning. As New Testament believers, we are free to worship Jesus in spirit and truth. We are. There's no expectation. There's no cutting you off if you don't come. You know what I'm saying? I mean, nowadays there's church in every corner and people can choose to go wherever they go. But when we're in covenant together, which is why we have membership, it's a subtle way of just saying, you know, I'm going to do this with you. And we're going to do this together. Because I feel safe. I feel comfortable. I feel like family. And this is where I want to do it. We're, worship this, we're, I'm sorry, we're free to worship it in spirit and truth. We gather to worship Jesus together. Next week I'm going to talk more about that because there is a, a bigger benefit that you know, it's like that old you know, uh, thing you get in the mail from time that says, do you know that you know, you're not getting all that you could be getting? <laughs> and it's so true about worship. There's so much more that Christians can be extracting from that 20 to 25 minutes that we set aside on Sunday morning. So much more. And I want to talk about that to finish up the series. So we build the relationships to encourage one another in this journey of faith. We spur one another to do good works and to live worshiping lifestyles. Worship opens the door to the spirit realm and to heaven coming down into our lives. And that's the next week's topic. There is a part of the spirit realm that God wants it, that that we are supposed to experience, that Jesus died on the cross for us to experience? Are you tapping into it? That's a big question, isn't it? But before we get to that, next week, we we need to understand that there's a new and living way. What I'm trying to do in this series is I'm trying to goad you. I'm trying to set the table and to say, man, you can have this. You can have it every week. You can have it every moment. You can have it when you first wake up in the day. You can have it as you're driving back and forth to work. You can have it when you end your day. You can have this at any time. But like so many things that come easy, we we tend to ignore them. The things that are free, we tend to not capitalize on. It's amazing. You can have a concert. If it's a free concert, Hardly anybody shows up. You charge them 20 bucks, oh man, they're all there. It's a dynamic, isn't it? It is free, what Jesus did for us. But what we all find out is that if we don't enjoy the freedom and the wonderful things that God has us in this force, in this new living way, then our souls become dry. They become uh, what we used to call puny, have a puny soul. That on the inside, you're just like, man, I'm, I'm not there, man. I'm, I'm not me. I'm not, I don't feel the joy. I don't feel faith. I don't feel hope on the horizon. I'm crabby. I'm letting other people steal my joy. I'm being drawn into the hopelessness of this world. Folks, I, I, would any of us be surprised if you read in the news that it, and it's all just bad news? Well, that's the world without a Savior. We shouldn't focus on that. We should focus on the triumphant, savior amen and what he's got for us and who we are in him so so much more to be had folks i'm excited for you if you're ready to get it so i'm going to have andrea come up and she's going to lead us in the final song i want to take a moment to just let's exercise this new and living way amen stand up this morning